As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Well, hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. Um, Thanks for joining us. Uh, As always, uh, I'm Tim White and I'm here with my dad, John. How are you, John? Yeah, very well, thanks. Great. So, So we're um, going to talk today about the the ever so hot button topic of of evolution and creationism. Um, I can almost hear the intake of breath from from some people on the other end of the of this. This is this is obviously an intensely kind of controversial and contested, quite bitter at times dispute and debate within Christians, um, let alone with the outside world. Why do you think this evolution and creationism has become so polarized? Yeah, well, of course, it's not a new issue, is it? I mean, it goes all the back to the Victorian era, to um, particularly Darwin Mm -hmm. and others who were uh, initially um, finding evidence for both the age of the earth and and so-called common descent, which we'll we'll talk about a bit later. But it has... I am struck by how extraordinarily heated and sometimes vicious... The debate has been between Christians and uh, and just speaking personally, you know, I, I've spent quite a lot of time speaking about matters of life and death in various different public settings. But to be honest, I, I studiously try to avoid the question of um, evolution when it's raised because I, I know it's so divisive and I haven't and I felt it was distracting. I, I felt it wasn't really the main issue which I was trying to engage with. But um, what, what, what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, similarly, in some sense, that it certainly felt when I was kind of growing up in the in the church, so the kind of the, the noughties, it, it felt like it was the, or it was perceived or projected to be the kind of the great dividing issue within kind of evangelical Christianity that I was swimming in, that, you know, there were lots of sort of things that the church was at odds with, with the outside world um, to be expected. But the thing that Christians really disagreed with among themselves was this kind of issue of, do you believe in evolution? Do you believe in six day creation? How old is the earth? And kind of associated issues. And, and like, to be honest, I, fa- I remember feeling at the time slightly bemused and even a little frustrated about why it was so prominent and why, you know, my youth group at church would have, you know, entire special kind of Saturday afternoon sessions where we would come in and debate this and and people would try and persuade each other of their beliefs and, and throw different books around and, and websites they'd found. But it just seemed to me, you know, I, I I had a position, I had a view, I'd thought about some of the issues, but I just couldn't figure out why it was important. It didn't seem that relevant. 
and I'm pretty confident, you know, in in my position. But I, if I get to glory and find out I was wrong, I really won't care that much because how the Earth began is just seems very secondary compared to a lot of stuff that that we could be arguing about. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting because what I've noticed is that people on on both sides of the debate, so so those who would believe passionately in either young Earth creationism or in so-called intelligent design on one side, and those who would believe in so-called guided evolutionism, Christian evolutionism, um, on the other side, both sides accuse the other of a kind of fundamental betrayal of God, a, a betrayal of the gospel. Uh, so I, I think those on the creationist side or the intelligent design side believe that the others are somehow uh, refusing to stand up for the uniqueness of Christianity and for the evidence of the supernatural involvement of God in life on earth. And at the same time, those who come from the guided evolutionist uh, side would be accusing the creationists of, of, of taking a kind of simplistic uh, anti-science perspective and of, and of quotes, poisoning the wells in sometimes of, of discussion of, of Christianity and science. Yeah, I really, really relate to that as well. I mean, I, I remember very vividly um, when I was at my university Christian Union, we put on some kind of evangelistic event. I think it was a kind of guerrilla Christian thing where there was like a panel of people and you could ask any question. And I, some for some reason, was on the panel, uh, even as a as a 20-year-old or something like that. And and a question came up from the audience, I presume from a, from a non-Christian, about kind of creation and evolution. I remember feeling quite frustrated because... You know, if I'd been asked that one to one, I would quite quite easily and comfortably kind of bat that away and say, well, you know, I, I don't think, you know, my personal view is that the the biblical account and Christian tradition is entirely like in in consonant consonant with modern evolutionary theory, and there's no conflict whatsoever between what scientists are discovering about the age of the Earth and Christianity. Um, you know. I believe that God is a creator, but he clearly used evolution as his method of creation. Let's move on to talk about Jesus, the resurrection, the cross, the bi the biblical accounts, the gospels, you know, the, the stuff in apologetics that really counts. But I couldn't do that on this event because I was, you know, in public, it would have been chucking half the other members of my CU, my brothers and sisters in Christ, under the bus. And so I had some kind of mealy mouth. Well, you know, there are different positions in the church and people have different views and you know it's one of the areas a christian disagree on and it just felt i felt quite frustrated because i was like that was that was um sucking attention and oxygen uh, and fundamentally it felt like cheapening and diminishing the strength and power of that evangelism and that witness because i had to kind of tiptoe around in my view the inaccurate theories of of my fellow christians yeah so i do think that one of the most important things therefore is to try to find things that we can agree on um, even if we come from very different positions about um, that uh, in, in this debate. I think we need to to look for areas of common agreement. We, we need also just to debate these issues in, a, in an appropriate and Christian way, don't we? So instead of accusing one another of betrayal, uh, of ignorance or of lack of knowledge of the Bible or whatever, uh, we need to listen carefully to those we we differ from, and and not to caricature or or demean the views that other people have. Uh, yeah, I also think there's a real 
need for kind of an injection of humility and uncertainty into this whole conversation and mm. and just to kind of accept that you know for for 99 percent of us discussing this we're not either you know evolutionary biologists or geologists uh, and we haven't you know dug down through layers of sediment and explored dinosaur fossils or carbon dating you haven't i haven't personally <laughs> had the time uh, unfortunately uh, and on the other side you know we're not most of us also have not spent, you know, time learning ancient Hebrew to unpick, you know, in the minutiae of the Genesis account. And so the vast majority of us need to kind of acknowledge that we are kind of amateurs treading in, sh- in the shallows here. And that doesn't mean that we can't talk about these issues. Of course it doesn't. But it does mean that we need to acknowledge that there is great uncertainty on both sides. You know, the scientists are still discovering things new every day. And ultimately, most science is done by non-believing kind of secular atheists and so needs to be understood within that context coming from that culture. Um, And also on the same on the flip side, the other kind of creationist side needs to acknowledge that, you know, there are multiple legitimate ways of reading scripture. That's always been the truth throughout the Christian tradition, uh, that people have read Genesis in different ways while still being kind of faithful to to, to the, the witness of the word of God. And so we just need to, yeah, just turn the temperature down, be a bit more generous to the other side and and hold our briefs a little bit more lightly, perhaps. Absolutely. And, and, and so I think we, both of us, need to fess up the same, don't we? Neither of us are uh, huge experts either in uh, personally in being involved in evolutionary biology or paleontology, uh, nor in, as you say, um, world-class experts in Hebrew and the original understanding of Genesis and so on. So, but I think what we can do, I hope, is is sort of just model and debate that uh, how Christians should at least uh, engage with with these deeply polarized. Uh, complex issues and so I, I suppose if we're thinking about what we can all agree on I think we start with the idea that God is a creator yeah. uh, and that we can all of us uh, act, uh, understand and, and believe that there is this extraordinarily intimate uh, relationship between God as the creator and uh, of everything and of course I think one of the fundamental points that, that immediately comes is that in the past, particularly in the um, in, in the late medieval period, the early modern period, the idea of God as a sort of cosmic uh, watchmaker, a God who creates this uh, extraordinarily intricate mechanism, winds it up and then leaves it to go on its way, th- those ideas became quite current and they seem to fit in with a kind of a mechanistic scientific uh, view of the world that was developing at that time. And I think it's really interesting that the, that the sort of fundamental biblical theological view says actually that's quite wrong. Uh, the relationship between God is not that of a watchmaker and the watch that he makes and winds up. Uh, the relationship is much, much more profound and intimate and mysterious, that, that every atom, every particle of this entire cosmos is literally held in existence every second by the will and participation and action of god the creator yeah i think that's a really critical point to start on i think because i think i have come across before i think there's a bit of a myth believed by some people on the creationist side which is that if you are 
uh, on the kind of evolutionary end of the spectrum, you by definition, you don't believe that you do hold to a kind of watchmaker view of God, that that he set it in motion billions of years ago, and then has now just retreated to a kind of cloud of dust somewhere outside of the universe and is just kind of like observing from a distance and that's actually not true you know as you say that's that's not a kind of defensible position for any christian regardless of your view of genesis to hold uh you know in him all things hold together you know you could it's it's clear throughout the scripture that that as you say god is god is intimately interwoven throughout his whole his whole created order so what we're really arguing about is not whether god is present or God created it, but it's about the mechanism by which God created it. Exactly that that it's the the exact means that God's use, and 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 this deeply mysterious interface of how God works in in the physical world. I suppose a second thing that we can all agree on is that human beings are unique. Um, you know, whatever view our, our view of as evolution, we all believe that there is a uniqueness about Homo sapiens, which is different from all the other um, from all the other species on the planet, and that that is related to um, the Imago Dei, the image of God, which is which is a reflection of our of our uniqueness. We're specially created and formed to reflect God's character and being. Mm. I mean, we discussed this. You remember a few months ago with Andrew Davison when we talked about kind of space exploration and the theological consequences of finding kind of new life in the universe um but yes we did touch in pa- passing this idea about the uniqueness of human beings within creation i think that is pretty kind of broad kind of consensus positions on, on both sides of the debate for sure yeah and then going on in what other things that we can agree on i think again all sides of this debate would would agree that human beings are actually made out of the same stuff as everybody else. We're made out of the dust of the earth, uh, and we we share a close biological kinship with all other organisms, um, and that that is is an indisputable reality, and it's a biblical reality that that we are uh, created out of the ground. To be human is to be a groundling. Mm. Yes, and in the same way, I think everyone agrees that human beings um, have been kind of contaminated by, by sin and evil since the fall, what the Genesis describes as the fall. And in that sense, we are um, we are as affected by the kind of curse of sin as is the rest of creation, and perhaps even more so. Yeah, and then again, just going through what we can all agree on, I think we can all agree on the importance of the Bible we we believe that the bible is not just another piece of literature that it's been god breathed inspired in some way that's sometimes described as the dual authorship of scripture that scripture has two authors it has human authors but it also has the holy spirit as the author and that we need to be constantly open to god to be revealing new truth in the age old scriptures um that are uh human interpretations of scriptures are not infallible we can get things wrong and therefore we need to have a degree of openness as we listen to one another and debate one another what what the scriptures actually mean you're listening to matters of life and death a podcast 
podcast from Premier Unbelievable. I just want to pause there for a second because I think many, sometimes people argue that the creationism debate is really a proxy debate about the authority of scripture. And you might hear the case that the reason creationists get so hot onto the collar about this is because they see the the evolutionary view is 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 a view which is effectively saying the bible takes second place to what we're learning from kind of atheistic scientists uh, and that they kind of favor this kind of plain reading of scripture rather than kind of dancing on pinheads and trying to find poetic understandings the the argument goes we're just looking at the bible and seeing taking it as truthful on its plain reading and that and we need to hold on to that and this kind of sophistry about trying to explain away what the bible says is, is what was really problematic in this discussion how how would you respond to that well i i think that's a, a huge big topic and you know um we, we'll come back to it but i think in essence what i what i would say is that it it just isn't true that that christians who genuinely take biblical authority very very seriously have agreed on this issue you know and if we want to name names i could just name john stott for instance who was universally recognized as a, as a great bible teacher and as someone who took the bible the teaching of the bible profoundly seriously and yet he himself uh, adopted and defended the creation evolution create um you know the guided evolutionism position tim keller would be another contemporary example but you go back into the history augustine would be somebody who was clearly um understood uh, genesis uh, not in a very uh, simplistic or literalistic manner so so in other words um just it, it just isn't true that those who take biblical authority highly have always adopted a, a literalistic understanding of of the key passages in Genesis, for instance. Hmm. Okay, um, is that is that enough on what we agree on? Should we start talking about what we disagree on? Do you think? Well, I think the last thing to say is that we do agree about science. I, I think anybody who lives in a modern world has to accept that the scientific method has turned out to be extraordinarily powerful. Um, you know because. Um, the evidence that science works is all around us. Um, just the latest advance, uh, uh, um, evidence, of course, is the pandemic and the effects of the vaccines and so on. But you, you know, you could point to so many. The fact that a uh, an airliner stays in the air and that we're quite happy, including creationists, are quite happy to get into an airliner or to use a smartphone uh, or whatever. Uh, is evidence of their confidence and trust in the basic methodology that science that science operates. So I, I think we have to agree, if we're honest, all of us on whatever side we are, that, that science, when it's done honestly and with humility, is capable of providing reliable information about the world. Okay. Um, shall we start then with something which I think is is often kind of at the forefront of the kind of points where people, Christians really disagree, and that's the age of the Earth, or the age indeed of the whole universe. Uh, it's sometimes called young Earth creationism, and this is the idea that uh, the Bible teaches or can be extrapolated from the Bible that 
that the world is only a few thousand years old, often described as about 6,000 years old. So it was created about 4,000 BC. Um, and this is obviously in wild disagreement with with uh, the consensus of of science, which uh, has settled on understanding that the world is, the universe is billions of years old and the world is, I believe, at least hundreds of millions. Yes, so... Um... This is a very fundamental divide between the young Earth and the and the and the new Earth. I think I think what what we're unpicking is that when people say, "Are you for or against evolution?" Hidden in that question are, in fact, a whole number of separate questions, and and Christians differ about these separate questions. And I think what you need to do is unpick the debate. And in this podcast, in the next podcast, we're we're basically going to unpick five different questions and they are the age of the the universe the origin of species how species develop uh, the mechanism of of that selection of species um, the uh, origin of homo sapiens of human beings and whether there's a space-time historical fall so there are actually five separate highly contested issues and and we're just very briefly going to run through them I mean, in terms of the age of the universe, of course, they, the issue re- is fundamentally related to our interpretation of the Bible and particularly to those early Genesis passages. Uh, and what's very interesting is that uh, historians of the, of the interpretation of the Bible point out that it was really only in the age of scientific discovery that there was a great deal of emphasis on this literalistic interpretation and particularly the idea that when it talks about a day in uh, the days of creation that they must by definition have been a literal 24-hour period Uh, even though of course that creates quite a lot of difficulties because you've somehow got to believe that on the first day of creation when God says there's let there be light that day lasts for 24 hours even though actually the sun isn't created until uh, day three and you know then then how do we define 24 hours and so on so interestingly I think it's only with the rise of um, that uh, the, the the age of science and and the rise of precision clocks and so on that biblical um, writers started to think about this question I, I think you know if you were to ask an earlier writer whether we're talking about 24 hours uh, they might look to view rather puzzled, but you know, why was that important? You know, what is this 24 hours? Um, so I, I, I think that is, there are many Bible scholars who would argue that the days of creation weren't, were intentionally not, were never intended to refer to literal 24 hours. And and I think an interesting aside is if it really is true that Moses was the author of those early chapters of Genesis, which has been the traditional interpretation, Moses had been educated at the highest level of um, Egyptian science and understanding of the universe, including astronomy. Uh, and therefore, when he pens those uh, majestic uh, first chapter of Genesis, He's doing it as a highly educated uh, man who's who's very well aware of different cosmologies and so on. He's not some naive rustic hmm. who is just uh, making it up as he goes along. 
I think the other thing that that is important to mention here is that that the the age of the earth isn't something which can be kind of hived off and argued about it it really intersects with 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 numerous other fields of science and if 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 scientists are universally wrong and that the world is only six the universe is only six thousand years old that that implies that there has been absolute catastrophic errors on the basics of astronomy physics geology geography you know almost an unendless list of things which where which are baked into is the assumption that the world must be millions of years old and, and all these kind of hypotheses and also, um theories have been subsequently kind of proved accurate as we managed to build you know theory upon theory and technology upon technology so so if the if the, if the aging is wrong it's not something that only really affects biblical interpretation it really affects almost the entirety of modern science that's right and and i personally think as a scientist you know that it's really not possible to, with integrity to maintain that the entire scientific world has got this catastrophically wrong by many orders of magnitude and at the same time use all the benefits of science. I mean, that doesn't seem to me to be a position that is tenable. I mean, you, if you, you could live on a desert island and believe that the entire world of science is completely mistaken and misguided and full of catastrophic errors, but you really can't use the benefits of that science whilst believing that it's all entirely mistaken and flawed yeah i mean everything from you know even something as as everyday as you know how the gps chip in your phone works to figure out where you are on the world relies on you know uh, atomic clocks in satellites spinning around the earth and all, none of that would work if the Absolutely. world is only 6,000 years old. In fact, the GPS system, which we use in our smartphones and every, everybody uses, actually depends on Einstein's law of special relativity. It actually takes account of the way that the timing of what's going on in the satellites is different from the timing that's going on the surface of Earth because we're moving at different speeds and therefore time is stretched. And if, if the equations didn't take into account... Einstein's law of special relativity, they wouldn't work. You know, so you, we're testing out this very, very profound, abstract laws of physics every time you use your smartphone. Yeah, it's effectively every day there are billions of miniature experiments testing out the theory that the world is millions of years old and every single day they all come back. Yes, and I, I think it's really just not credible uh, unless you want to genuinely say that there's no truth to be discovered from science and the only truth is found in, in scripture, it's just not credible to believe that the world can only be 6,000 years old. Well, certainly, I, I, I think both of us find, find that position difficult. I think the next big issue is where do species come from? Is there any relationship between the different species on the planet, the millions and millions of different species, or... In some way, does God intervene to, in some special way, to create each individual species? Uh, and biologists call this common descent, and it was one of the most important insights that Darwin developed, and that was the so-called tree of life, and he wrote in his notebook a famous diagram where he sketched out the way that every single species on the planet were related biologically um, and that we were all descended uh, from one another. 
and I think this is a really critical point because this is the origin of a lot. I think a lot of the backlash. It's it was often caricatured at the time and to this day as this idea that humans are descended from monkeys, which isn't really what Darwin was saying. He was saying that humans and great apes share a common ancestor, but it was quite offensive and shocking to I think to a lot of kind of contemporary educated opinion, which in the kind of Christendom era had always just taken for granted that mankind was set apart was from the rest of the universe as we talked about earlier and that wasn't simply a spiritual reality but that had to be a physical reality as well and so the idea you know there are cartoons at the time of kind of like just hum- like mocking um ris- as risible the idea that human beings could could share kind of common descent with monkeys and people i think found it so offensive that that it kind of it almost created in reaction this kind of desire for Christians to come up with alternative theories. Yeah, there was a there was a wonderful apocryphal statement of a wife of an archbishop who, on hearing that that humans were descended from monkeys, said to her husband, "Oh my dear, let us hope that it is not true. But but if it is true, let us hope that it is not widely known." <laughs> <laughs> but so I think. On the one side is the the very strong evidence, both geological and genetic evidence. Now that we've got um, detailed genetic information about the species across the planet, uh, they have supported this idea of common descent um, because the um, geological relationships and the genetic relationships turn out to be very closely linked. Um, but there are definitely problems with with common descent, and um, it's often pointed out there's the lack of direct evidence of the so-called intermediate forms. Um, what, what happens if, if one species is descended from another? Why don't we find species that are halfway between? Why, why does it seem there's a, a complete difference between an earlier version of the species and, uh, and a later species? And and so I think that's an, an issue, and, and it still leaves unsolved the question about the origin of life. How did life itself start? How did we get multicellular organisms? Um, how does the how do we get a genetic code and a readout? All those kind of things remain unresolved. And and what's the alternative then if we were to kind of question and turn our backs on on common descent and uh, and the kind of naturalistic explanation of the origin of species is there an alternative kind of uh, argument that we could we could instead favor well some people who are who defend uh, intelligent design quotes would uh, as christians would argue that uh, god intervenes in a supernatural way to create every single species that though there is evolution within species the actual development of a new species depends on god's um, intervention and but it of course it raises all kinds of questions so apparently there are uh, millions of different species of beetle on the planet so does that mean that god intervenes each time god loves beetles so much especially that he intervenes to create each one and then it turns out the geologists say that 99.9 percent of all species that ever existed on the planet are now extinct so did, was god painstakingly developed developing and in, by special intervention every one of these billions of species that are now extinct and, and 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 why did he do it that way and i guess it also gives rise to the accusation that that's this is a kind of another version of the god of the gaps argument 
and that we are simply plugging in kind of divine intervention and special creation into the holes of current scientific understanding, which seems neat and, and great now, but in a hundred years time, when we've further understood even more about biology and and various other things, it, it might, it actually kind of, it's a castle of sand and it can, it can be, the legs can be kicked away quite quickly as science expands. That's right. And I think what it tends to do is it sort of focuses the God's involvement in these unusual events, like the creation of species, but implies that the rest of the time God is not particularly interested in how uh, these species um, get on and the rest of biological life. It's only God occasionally intervenes and says, oh, well, let's create a new species now. So so it, it, it focuses attention on on divine intervention at very particular points and then tends to downplay or ignore God's involvement with all the rest of biology and, and biological existence on the planet. Okay, well, I've just noticed we're running out of time for this week's episode, so we'll have to put a pin in this conversation for now. But um, next week, we're going to come back in and pick this up again and look in particular at the kind of arguments for and against natural selection, which is often one of the most kind of contested aspects of, um, of evolutionary theory. And then also move on to think about um, the kind of origin of, of humans, of, of Homo sapiens, our own species. Uh, how can we kind of reconcile what we read in, in scripture about Adam and Eve uh, and also the fall? Uh, you know, it, can we un do we understand the fall as this kind of purely symbolic event or is could it actually fit in with a kind of millions of years old earth gradual evolution as well? Um, so lots more to discuss. But thanks very much, uh, John. It's been really interesting. Um, and thank you to you all for listening. Um, you, as always, you can find more resources if you want to to read and, and kind of stimulate your thinking at, at John's website. That's John Wyatt, W-Y-A-T-T dot -T com. Uh, you can get in touch with us uh, by email. Just uh, email molad, M-O-L-A-D at premier.org.uk. And please do uh, rate us, review us on your podcast app of choice. Tell your friends. Uh, we'd love to get, uh, get the podcast into more ears. Um, but thanks for listening and we'll speak to you next week. You've been listening to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable.